You are listening to In Response, a legacy podcast. A show where three handsome guys talk about their favorite magic the gathering format, legacy. This show is brought to you by queernessatanycost.com and austrian-legacy.com. You can support the show at patreon.com slash response underscore legacy. And now, lean back and show. Hello everyone and welcome to the 39th episode Behind the Mind of Mr. Phil Gallagher of In Response, a Legacy Podcast. I'm Philip Klein. I am Daniel. And I'm Peter Plank. And we're talking about legacy. Most of the time. And this time we're talking about, about legacy with the GOAT, with the greatest of all time, <laughs> Phil Gallagher at FrayBenU on Twitter. How are you today, Phil? I'm doing really well, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to chat Legacy for a little while. Woo! And we are very excited <laughs> to have you on. I mean, um, you're probably one of our most famous guests that we ever had. Pretty much, yeah. I'm in this weird position where I'm like this like weird niche micro-celebrity now. <laughs> if you're a Legacy player, it's like, oh my gosh, it's Phil Gallagher. And if you're any other Magic player, it's like, uh, I don't know if I've heard of that guy. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much <laughs> pretty uh, the much, thing, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you're in the same uh, category as, as Julian or, or Kai. Pretty much, I'm not sure. Or even mean, a little bit higher. I mean, I think, a little bit higher, I think. Yeah. I mean, Julian is... Uh, one of the guys with the big long longevity, I think, is the word mm. that we're looking at here. And Phil, you are you're also kind of the longevity guy, but had a recent not recent explosion, but I think you're you're getting getting more and more recognition over the last two to three years. If I have it a little bit in the time space. Oh, you 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 do. I I really kind of hicked it kicked it into high gear um, around the time the pandemic started and the last two or three years have just like seen my numbers on YouTube just absolutely go to the moon, you know, go from 200 views to 10,000 views. Uh, and it's just crazy that that many people want to watch Legacy. It makes me very happy. Yeah, that's because of format is just great. Laughs, <laughs> <laughs> <Laughs's> in <Merktide> region. <laughs> I mean, we're two minutes in. We're just talking bad talk. <laughs> no, no, for sure not. <laughs> no, I think um, yeah, magic in general is a is a big niche here, and legacy is the big niche within magic in general. So yeah, it, it's like a big niche, but. I think you and your two colleagues, I think we can call it with with Brian and Brian, uh, are filling the needs of the of the format. I think, and especially in the in the form of the the YouTube content that is coming up. So yeah, yeah. There there used to be almost no YouTube legacy content specifically. There were a lot of people, especially like um, archetype specialists who would stream like playing their one deck and they would do that all of the time. But as far as like variety content for legacy on YouTube, there was almost nothing until the three of us really kicked it off. Like you would get the variety content creators who maybe once a week or so might play some legacy. 
you know, like so someone like Jeff Hoagland would occasionally like put out a legacy video or something like that. But it, it was pretty rare. And I think a lot of people are moving from Twitch to YouTube. Yeah, do, you, do you think that mostly this is, as you already mentioned, is related to the pandemic? I kind of do. I think it's partially the pandemic and partially people getting better at making content. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going I'm, I'm to do some inside baseball for, for a minute. <laughs> so if, if, you, if you just dump a Twitch VOD to YouTube... There's all this random chat with a bunch of strangers on the internet that you don't know, right? Like, there, there's a bunch of space being taken up on screen by your chat log, and it's not the most, like, friendly content for someone who just wants to sit down and watch some games of Legacy. They miss a lot of inside jokes, there's a lot of dead time, and now people are realizing, like, oh my gosh, if I edit my videos, more people will watch them? And they're more fun to watch? This Mind is crazy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can totally understand this. I mean, it's kind of hard to edit all these videos. Yeah. Um, I, I used to consume, like, so much legacy content. And because so much of it was just on Twitch, like, I would be watching that stuff while playing my own games or watching that stuff while sleeving cards, building decks, whatever. And now the stuff that's made for YouTube is more engaging and moves faster. And it's like, oh, I can actually just, like, do this as the one thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. A small insight question, because I think you previously mentioned it, or uh, one of you three. Uh, I think you're using kind of a software that um, puts out the parts where you don't talk or something like that. At least uh, Brian uses it, because within the combo, sometimes he just stops talking so that the whole um yeah clicking is deleted i think yeah yes it it helps a lot um there's some legacy decks and i'm gonna pick on Bomberman for a minute <laughs> oh my um, gosh. that just take a long time to win and you might literally spend three to five minutes clicking through a combo if you are playing something like Bomberman or a displacer kit displacer kitten combo deck or um, older builds of Aluren were kind of like that too and it's just like really bad for the viewer so for you to just demonstrate your loop once and then go okay I'm gonna cut to when I get my opponent to concede that it's like oh okay like yeah. you you make the video much better for the people watching it sounds, sounds great I think uh, maybe we should also change to <laughs> from Twitch to YouTube <laughs> but I'm not so sure if it works for paper play I, I think paper play can work but you have to use it differently if you have an in twitch stream or you record it for youtube yeah that's true so. i think the thing that matters the most for good paper videos is good commentary like when you when you think back to the glory days of the scg tour like oh gosh, everyone yeah. probably remembers like various rants or highlights from people like patrick sullivan or or cedric or something like that and like the, the, the color commentary those people are doing while all of the shuffle shuffling happens, like that keeps it entertaining and engaging. And yeah. like as long as you have good commentators, you don't really feel the dead time as much in paper magic. Yeah. So so for Twitch you mean? Mm-hmm. Also for also for YouTube, I think. If if it's if it's consuming, uh you need to have like a helpful relationship between the two casters. There has to be some harmony so that even though they're talking about something that is completely something, 
it has to be entertaining. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. But yeah, I think we got a short introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have a few topics written down. Uh, and so we want to hear something from behind the G. So uh, tell us a little bit about you, uh, Phil. Where are All you right. from? How have you developed your interest a little bit in legacy? So If somebody has never heard of you, how <laughs> would you describe yourself? <laughs> All right. Um, so these days I kind of think of myself as a variety YouTuber. I largely play interesting and unique legacy decks and try to showcase stuff other than just the tier one strategies. I try to play jank competitively is, is kind of a short way to uh, describe what I do. Um, as far as my background goes, I originally grew up in Illinois in the United States. I did my undergrad in Iowa. I got my graduate degree in Maryland, taught in Virginia for about eight years, and then moved to North Carolina, and I'm now teaching near Charlotte. So I have, I have bounced around a whole lot within the United States, uh, probably, probably a lot more than the average American. Uh, it sounds very exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but as as far as the content goes, I kind of got a reputation as being like air quotes the death and taxes guy. Um, but these days, I don't really play very much D and T. It's a lot more, you know, pox painter, a lot of ancient tomb decks, a lot of janky questionable <laughs> combos that are uh, stapled together by Urza's saga. Um, but I, I, I have a lot of looking at you, Peter. <laughs> good card is good. Yeah. The the questionable blue decks get held together by brainstorm and ponder and preordain, and the questionable non-blue decks have ancient tomb to fix their problems. Yeah. Uh, no, I know what I'm always doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you playing Nida. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so in another question that was very dearly to our hearts to ask you which is something that is in typically austrian uh, job interview uh conventional like that um what are for you uh in perspective to to your content your your strengths and weaknesses with which is something and i think a really interesting topic to talk about which is not one of the usual questions i think no and i think that's a great question so I think my biggest strength as a, a content creator is that I explain myself clearly and I explain why I'm doing the things that I'm doing clearly so that people can learn. Uh, I am a teacher by trade. I have uh, a, a lot of background in like learning how to teach. Uh, the technical word is pedagogy. And I, I know how to say things and do things so that I communicate very clearly. And a lot of people who are new to legacy who maybe don't understand all the interactions really appreciate that. And that makes my interaction, uh, sorry, my content very accessible to them. Yeah, I, I think I can relate to this. Yeah, it's especially if you watch your videos, I, something that I really enjoy And it's not only you, I will put you into a pond again with your two colleagues um, because you'll three do this. Um, like explaining the lines is something that I really enjoy from, from content creation because I think that the thing in, in magic content in general is not that it's like 
I, I think it's, it's maybe a bad word, but uh, I, I don't really watch it for an entertaining purpose because I like the, the strategic alignment in the game so that you have to do something on a specific way um, that interests me. So I think explaining the lines is like something that is within magic one of the, the key uh, things that you have to, to do to yeah, do well within content creation. Yeah, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, um, I got at an SCG Open. Uh, it was the first Open that I cashed. I was playing Miracles. Um, Joe Lissette was randomly behind me, Miracles Master. He was watching one of my rounds. Um, and afterwards, I was like, hey, I, I really like your content. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, and I had, I had messed up a... I had messed up something. I was playing against Dredge. I didn't understand like the order that I had to stack my triggers in or something like that to do something optimally. And he was like, yeah, you just need to understand every interaction in Legacy, right? Like, if... <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so easy. How did I think of this before? <laughs> no, but but like really, it's, it's good advice. And he, and he went on to say, like, if you are going to be a high level tournament player, you need to understand all of the interactions that you are going to come across so that you can make the optimal decisions. And like after this conversation with him, I actually started to become a judge and I was a level two judge for quite some time until like the whole judge Academy thing started up. Um, and I didn't kind of renew once that started. Mm -hmm. I have a, a short in between question because since you mentioned that you have some, of course, as you were a teacher, and related to magic, have you ever taught one of your actual students some magic-related stuff? Yeah. Um, so behind me on this bookshelf here, the, uh, sorry, audio listeners, you don't get this part. <laughs> um, but there's actually a collection of what I called the guild decks. Mm -hmm. I built them when Return to Ravnica came out. And they are decks entirely built of commons and uncommons from that block. And I actually taught a bunch of people to play Magic at a, a gaming club at the University of Maryland using those decks. So anytime one of my friends is like, yeah, I kind of want to try out Magic. I don't have any cards. I just kind of like bust those out. And they're simple decks, you know, with clear themes like oh, this is a blue-black control deck that has a bunch of removal spells and flyers. This is a Golgari deck where the creatures get bigger as more of them die. But they're the sorts of things that are kind of like uh, like pre-con deck power level. And I've taught a lot of people to play Magic using those. Mm -hmm. Do you have the deck list somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, because um, I was also in the same camp and I tried, basically I tried always to find new people to play with and to learn them the game. And it's really hard to find uh, deck lists or to find pre-cons that are so um, quote-unquote dumped down uh, for them yes. to grasp. It's, it's so hard as, uh, if, you, if you're including some rares or something, it's, it just gets so overwhelming uh, for them to play. Yeah, um, when, I, when I think about how complex magic is, like, it's, it's daunting. You know when you like play a European board game of some kind and there's like a 30-page rules document and you have to keep referencing it during the game to know like whether or not you're doing things correctly. Like I don't want someone's first magic experience to be that. Like 
I want them to maybe understand that there are instants and sorceries and there are creatures and like how basic combat math works. Like that's that's it. Like we don't need to go into counter spells. Uh, we don't need to go into like artifacts and enchantments. Like teach teach them the bare basics with simple stuff. And then if 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 you hook them, then you show them the other things. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Slow and steady. <laughs> And magic is like a drug, so eventuality will become legacy players like we are. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, they won't have money for anything else. But yeah, so I, I do believe I owe you a downside, though. Yeah, so, yeah. I was just bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So almost every time I play a deck for my channel, it is the first time that I am playing this deck, right? So most of the time in round one, I'm figuring out how my card interactions work. I'm figuring out how the combo works. I'm figuring out like, oh, I need to hold priority when I'm doing this thing or it won't work. So I frequently mess up things while I'm playing that I wouldn't have messed up if I had played this like previously. And people in the comments are like, how can you miss that thing? And it's like, bruh, this is the first time I'm trying this deck. And I'm, I'm trying to learn this deck live while I'm also trying to be entertaining. And I'm, like, trying to do all of these, these things for you all. And it's really hard to, like, be entertaining, think through all of the interactions, and learn a yeah. new deck at the same time. Yeah. So this sometimes means that the, like watching a deck specialist and watching me play the deck are going to be two very different things i'm really good at some archetypes but then i'll be asked to play lightning storm uh, <laughs> like i did recently for the channel and i didn't realize that mtgo doesn't give you a prompt to do that so the first time i cast the spell i just like pass priority through it because i didn't know i had to like hold control when i cast it and like i know how that card works in real life i know that i have to hold priority to do that but I thought MTGO was going to give me a pop-up for that. And I was wrong. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I think this is also something that should be more appreciated or because when somebody like you learns new things live and is so well-spoken and openly discusses how, I don't know, the interactions work in the end, I think most of people, when they're just watching you playing new decks, can already learn as well from that and also the process how you learn is also i think very important to highlight yeah <laughs> so when i was um learning legacy um there were a handful of people who did like once a week legacy videos um like manguchi sometimes did legacy videos mm -hmm. and yeah. i enjoyed watching those a lot and i would watch him play and i'd be like how on earth did he make that mistake like he's this pro player he's one of the best <laughs> in the world how is he missing this stuff and now that I'm on the content creation side and I'm learning all of these decks and I'm trying to be entertaining and think through things, it's like, no, I 100% know how he missed these things. His brain is moving a billion miles an hour trying to, like, do all of this stuff. Of, of course he's going to miss stuff. Uh, and it's, like, very different from, like, being the armchair quarterback, like, telling the player what they should be doing versus actually doing it. Um, it's, it's a very different experience. Yeah, that's true. That's why I always feed in paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely understandable. I think is is the right word as we are not really into the conjugation side of things, uh, especially within playing. I mean, we did some few things, but not really on on the recording parts and uploading. So, 
I tried to stream once, then I was, <laughs> then I was so fucking tired. <laughs> I almost yeah. fell asleep during this during the stream. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally a thing. If you're not used to um, like putting on the show, so to speak, for a prolonged period of time, like you will feel like you worked an eight-hour shift after streaming for three hours. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, a lot of like new streamers will forget to drink water and then they're just like their body is in bad shape by the end of their stream or like they don't use the bathroom or stuff like that. And it sounds so stupid to say, but it's just like so true with people who are new to content creation. Yeah, that's 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 so for sure so true. I mean we we commentated we had a little league, a paper league that we commentated on Twitch. And uh, I think we had four hour streams of uh, something and they were so ridiculously hard for <laughs> us to do that we that we said we have uh, we have to switch in the next stream uh, the seats for, for the commentators so that everybody gets a break. Yeah, when I was doing the Legacy Premier League uh, a few years back, there was a very good reason why the commentators switched out every round or two. Like, you, you will not stay sharp if you just, like, stay on task the entire time like that. And, and with Legacy Premier League, I think we have a good transition to our next topic, which would be highlights and lowlights in your, I will put in the word career here, um, in your content creation career or in general for Magic Legacy. Yeah, as, as far as like long term, the, the Legacy Premier League was absolutely one of my favorite projects that I've been involved with. Uh, it was very fun, very high level play. Julian really put a lot of work into the back end stuff, commissioning all of that pixel art, which was absolutely amazing and fantastic. That was a great project to be a part of. Um, but like for me personally, the last two years in particular have just been this like high point for me because i'm feeling the success that i've spent years building up finally coming to fruition you know there was a a long time where you know i would upload a video to youtube and it would get watched by like the same 500 people every time but there was no real growth and then i took the time to like learn youtube learn what i needed to do learn editing and now i'm just like meeting new people all the time like I'm getting all of these content creation um, opportunities. I'm doing so many um, casual magic streams with the EDH folks, and like I am, I am really starting to feel like this could turn into a real career, not a part-time job, which is just crazy. Like for someone who is primarily doing legacy content. Yeah, yeah. I think especially branching out a little bit into EDH is. If if it's your your think if you are interested in the format for for a career choice I think a a really good one because it's I think it's like one of the driving forces I think currently within the the matching community yeah yeah definitely oh yeah EDH like is the almost the exclusive way that uh, magic gets played now yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any hard numbers here, so I'm going to make up some numbers. You know, legacy players might make up like 2% of the magic population or something like that. I think this so is like, way too much. It probably. <laughs> yeah. probably uh, yeah. Like, 
we we feel like we're a big deal and like we have a very tight-knit community we have a lot of really dedicated people who make websites and do content and put together tournaments like we have a great legacy community um but like we're we're such small fish in the bigger like dish that is magic so like getting to know more people from outside of just the legacy community has been really cool and it's also eye-opening and it's giving me a lot more appreciation for some of these cards where, that I looked at them and it was like, oh, man, this card's unplayable. And then it will be like the best card in Commander. And I'll be like, oh, wow. OK, like I, this card was not designed for me. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Different formats, different variants, different variables and cards can go bonkers. I mean, I often play chank, uh, bulk rares, but... <laughs> I can totally see this, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so the the big one that surprised me recently was I, I looked at Ancient Copper Dragon, which is a six-mana mythic rare from the recent Baldur's Gate set. <laughs> and when the... I looked at that from the eyes of a legacy player, I went, okay, that's unplayable garbage. And then I looked at it from the perspective of an EDH player where it's a $60 card, and I was like, fuck? man, you could get up to 20 treasures on an attack trigger? That's nuts. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah i i i read the card and thought like yeah okay it seems, nice. seems okay <laughs> but yeah has to survive a turn in edh <laughs> I, I thought about as i read this i thought about hmm maybe, maybe you could shallow grave this <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing i thought about uh, but it was actually with the white one i'm not sure which of the dragons it is but it makes blue fairy tokens you roll a d20 and they make uh, that much blue fairy tokens is it yeah I, I i don't remember the names of them uh, <laughs> me neither but it would be fun to, to shallow grave something like that <laughs> yeah true true <laughs> I mean, these are interesting design, and I think for Commander they are well positioned. But yeah, treasures are everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's true. So yeah, and do you know any lowlights, or was it all quite shiny the way? It's just, it's just a linear progression <laughs> to the top. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. Um, I'll, I'll I'll get real for a minute here. Yeah, it's. It was really depressing for a long time to be putting in as much work as I was putting in without really seeing true growth. So, for example, when I was a Twitch streamer, I had like 100 viewers on a good stream. And like, that's totally fine and respectable. But that number didn't change a lot over time mm -hmm. because short version on Twitch, you're not really discoverable unless you're one of the biggest people on the platform. Like it's very hard for new people to find you. And when I was just making videos on Twitch, the people who found me were already legacy players or they heard from word of mouth about me from other legacy players. And that meant like for years, my stats basically stayed the same. I got denied partner many times, despite like, meeting all of the metrics that were required because i wasn't really showing any real growth like i checked all the boxes but because i wasn't getting bigger they denied me partner no fuck and like that that sucked that was really depressing and i wasn't making a lot of money like while doing all of that so i, I would put you know 15 or 20 hours uh, of work in a week and just see nothing for it and 
like later I switched to YouTube and everything basically got better in an instant. But like there was a long time where I was like, man, I should really just quit doing this content creation thing. I'm spending so much time doing it. It's so stressful. Like sometimes I don't hang out with my friends so that I can make content and keep my schedule. Um, it obviously is working out for me now, but like it content creation isn't always this like happy go lucky thing. Like there's a weird amount of like depression, self doubt, imposter syndrome that, that goes with it. Even if you're one of the like, you know, best at doing it in your respective format, like I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. But you said, um, basically everything changed when, when you switched to YouTube. So yes. you, you stopped doing live streams then and you instantly switched to doing edited uh, videos or am I wrong here? Yeah. So for maybe a year, I just dumped Twitch VODs to YouTube and like similar situation. I saw no growth, but as soon as I started doing thumbnails and editing, like not kidding, I, I doubled my views overnight. Like doing, doing the research, putting in that work, learning what I needed to learn. Like I doubled my video views and then again and again and again and again and again. Um, I've, I've said this a couple of times in other places, but um, my podcast co-host, uh, Brian Koval, had a video hit 10,000 views, which for Legacy was insane. And at the time, I think I was getting like 2,000 views on my video. And when that happened, I was like, holy crap, that's possible for legacy? Like, okay, I'm going to try to do that. Like, I'm going to put in the work. <laughs> I'm and sure. Was this the Madness video, his first? Um, I don't remember which one was his first. The, the Madness video was one of mine. That was ah, my okay. first video that broke 10K. And then I did it again, like, two or three days later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Um, that Modern Horizons 2 time period like where all those new cards got printed that were just incredibly powerful in every single format was just like this godsend for content creators where like everyone wanted to see Urza Saga in action for the first time. Everyone wanted to see this madness deck. Everyone wanted to see modern shardless bug because like that was a thing now. Um, and that was the time period where like my videos really caught on for the first time. And I've been kind of riding that wave ever since. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. Um, so for the next question, um, you said you're basically in the, uh, you're shooting for the stars now. So what are your goals? How do you see yourself at the end of 2022? Uh, so basically at the end of this year. And how do you see yourself in the next five years? In the next six months or so, I would like to try to become a more established member of the magic community rather than just the eternal community. That's, that's kind of my short-term goal. And you'll notice there's no numbers attached to that, right? Yeah. It's just like, I would like to make progress on this thing because I think when you set goals that involve numbers, a lot of times that's outside of your control, right? Yeah. Like, if I say I want every single one of my videos to have above 10,000 views, that's not something that I can control. I, 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 I can't do that. And so I can put myself in this weird psychological situation where I feel bad because I set a goal that wasn't realistic and that was outside of my control. 
Whereas if I say, I want to become a, a more functioning member of the magic community, like, I can put myself out there. I can do these guest spots. I can talk to more people. I can do guest appearances, invite people on my channel. Like, I can actively work towards that. Yeah. And, like, I can be happy with that goal without there being numbers associated with it. So that's that's my short term. Mm -hmm. As Sounds far as long term. Yeah. yeah. Um, setting reasonable goals is really important. Um, and taking it back to, like, tournament success... Um, there's a lot of people when they're starting like the grind and they're starting to try to get their top eights or whatever that, you know, say things like, you know, I don't feel like I'm successful if I don't top 16 this tournament this weekend. Right. And like you're setting a goal that's unrealistic because in your 400 person tournament, you know, only 16 of you can top 16. Right. <laughs> and like there's luck and variance and matchups that are totally outside of your control. So you want to set long-term goals that are realistic and that are achievable. And, you know, you can say, I'd like to top event, top eight, five events before the end of the year. And that's more, much more realistic than saying, like, I want to top eight, the GP that's this weekend. You right, know, yeah, you're going to have true. a bad time if yeah. that's your expectation. Yeah. Yeah, you can, mathematically, you can just influence, like, saying I want to have this win rate over this year or something like that. And with that, the results will come. And every other case, it's like nearly impossible within magic. If it's chess, it's another thing. But within magic, you can't really influence. So, yeah, sometimes you have to put the bullet bad matchups two times in a row and the tournament is over. Or you so. play against the only guy in the room that has um, six graveyard hate pieces in the sideboard <laughs> <laughs> and yeah yeah well. um my podcast co-host bryant cook just won a tournament this weekend yeah um, we so one, one of the scgs yeah. and he said i'm very thankful someone else beat the doomsday player because i can't win that matchup <laughs> right like if someone else's matchup goes a different way like you might not be winning this tournament right like yeah. You have to accept a lot of things are outside of your control when it comes to magic results. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. And so he and got so... Blue Red Delve in the semis and in the finals, and it's a good matchup, and he won. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, congrats to Brian here. <laughs> Definitely. Have to look into the finals because he uploaded it. Yeah. So, we basically, I, I mean, you have showed me this um, half an hour prior to our recording, <laughs> so I had no idea that SG Zurich was has taken place so <laughs> yeah Definitely as far as five years from now goes i'm i'm eyeing becoming a full-time content creator and like e exiting teaching i okay, i don't know well. that it's going to happen but it's it's on the table now in a way that it was never on the table before this year um yeah. i i normally work a summer job uh, i normally teach a spoken latin course over the summer and this year I didn't do that so that I could focus on my content and see kind of what it was like if I focused on the stuff full time. And let me tell you, there's a reason why I have eight guest appearances scheduled this week. It's because <laughs> I have the time to do it. Oh, yeah. And it's I'm, 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 I'm starting to think about it. It's it's realistic. I don't know that I'm going that direction for sure, but it's. It's a long-term goal now, I think. Yeah, it, yeah, it also depends if you are having, um, I hate to say it, but if you're having fun while doing this. I mean, that's probably one of the um, biggest reasons to do it. 
yeah. besides money for sure <laughs> yeah there's definitely like psychology stuff there where like what i'm doing right now is a hobby and it is fun for me like does that change when i am playing magic 40 to 60 hours a week full-time you know yeah. is is it no longer the hobby and it's just the job you know i i think i would still enjoy it because i'm enjoying my work right now you know would i enjoy doing that for 10 years straight or longer you know who who knows would i end up moving to a different game would i end up you know doing more than just magic there there's a lot of questions there yeah. before i would pull the trigger on something like that yeah especially I mean, I'm really enfranchised in in watching the German content creation side of of gaming, especially within League of Legends. So uh, a lot of the guys that started off with uh, being like uh, content creators within League of Legends, uh, a lot of them pulled the trigger within like between two and five years or something like that that they they move to complete variety but on the other side there are also a, a few uh exceptions that stayed within the, the the content for 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 a longer period of time so it's like uh yeah very specific and individually uh how it is addressed Yeah, and I've I've tried some variety content a couple of times. I I did a few Slay the Spire videos. I did a few videos for this uh, strategy game called Monster Train, and let me tell you, those were analytics disasters. Okay. Yeah, those were like thirty view videos. Like they were bad. Yeah. Wow. And like I was I was probably one of the more adept players at playing that game at the time. I was putting out really high level strategy content. Did not matter. YouTube hated me for it, and it actually made the views on my normal magic videos worse too. Okay. <laughs> Failed experiment. Yeah. So basically, stick to your guns in this t uh, in this regard. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, at, there's a lot of uh, magic content creators who do some other stuff, uh, and they just literally put it on separate channels so it doesn't yeah. mess with their analytics. Ah, makes sense. Makes yeah, sense, I yeah. Can see this, yeah. That's the reason that a lot of the big content creators have, have like two to five or something like channels mm -hmm. that they put the content on different accounts, yeah. So, yeah. So, moving to full content creation. But I think we just pull the trigger and go a little bit back in time to talk about we uh, labeled this as the new era of the Frame University, which was basically the, the cut-in where you said, yeah, I don't really want to work with D&T anymore if I have it in my mind. And you wanted to start with like playing, yeah, I, I like community deck lists or deck lists that come from the community or branching out in very different decks at first glance. decks, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to give a huge shout out to my sponsor card hoarder here because they are the ones who has absolutely enabled all of the shenanigans on my channel. Um, I, I reached out to card hoarder when I was streaming and I basically said like, Hey, I am interested in becoming affiliated with you. Can you give me a free loan account so that I can go and play all of these cool decks for people? And this was before the loan accounts were really a, an established thing. Like, it was not available to the public. It was only available to streamers. And they said, like, yeah, we're absolutely interested in sponsoring your content. And on Magic Online at that time, I only owned Death and Taxes and Red Prison. So those were the only two things mm -hmm. I could stream. 
and then Card Hoarder opened the door for me to try things that were similar to those decks. So I could play Death and Taxes with Splash Builds. I could probably play something like a Stone Blade deck. And a little bit later, they increased my, my loan account again so that I could play just about anything. And once I had access to that, I actually kind of followed Jeff, Jeff Hoagland's content model because he does a lot of like donation decklist stuff, or at least he did back when I watched his content. And like, I started to monetize my channel because let me tell you, I think per month I was probably getting sub $100 from Twitch. Like mm -hmm. it, it was wow. not a lot of money. Um, and in order for me to like justify the amount of time I was spending and help me get some of the costs back from hosting my website and everything like that, like that, that started that process. And once I became a little more popular and I really started doing the YouTube stuff, it went from, yeah, maybe once a week I'll get a donation deck list to every single video I do on my channel is funded by someone. <laughs> And your, your content creators need the support, just by the way. The, the ad revenue does not take them to, to the moon, you know. Your, your, your content creator is going to get less than a penny from you watching their video at the end of the day. Like, so, like, the support that you give people on, on Patreon or the thing that lets you buy someone a, a coffee or by subscribing to them or whatever, like, that support goes a very long way towards actually supporting these these artists and content creators that that you like the business is really harsh it's it's mostly on the the advertisement or on the on the sponsoring the video on the patrons and stuff like that that will fund the content creator in these times yeah uh, how, yeah how is so the payout on on youtube i've i've heard something about 700 views equal one buck or something yeah it's it's called cpm or something like that is the real term so uh, do you do you want to show something like the CPM or or do you compare it together with with Bryant and Brian or is it a little bit hidden? <laughs> no, we we have pretty pretty open discussions about like how much we we make. Um, so I'm I'm comfortable saying this. So I will probably earn about one thousand eight hundred dollars on YouTube this month. Okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. That's, that's, that's a pretty good that's amount of good. money, right? Yeah. And then when you start thinking about how many videos I'm putting out, all of a sudden it's going to sound a lot less good, okay? Yeah. So there's... 1,800 1, doesn't sound... So 1,800 <laughs> divided by the 31 videos that I am going to make this month is $58 per video, <laughs> Okay. And now each one of those videos takes me about three hours to record, uh, like average league with a janky deck list, two to three hours. And then there's the editing time and making the thumbnails and all that stuff that goes with it, right? <laughs> so like, while that number sounds like, oh man, that's sweet, that's so much money, when you start breaking it down to an hourly rate, if I was not also like getting sponsorship and these like donation deck lists and stuff, like I would be making under minimum wage yeah, probably, even even with wage. making that amount. Oh my gosh. So like I, I make a good amount of money now, yeah. but literally like without the donation deck list models and the Patreon and stuff that like actually supports me, I could not like be doing things like I am doing now. I couldn't be doing all these guest appearances. I, I could not like skip working a summer job 
because spoilers teachers in america don't make a lot of money yeah that's i've heard about it yeah <laughs> but you could also always come to austria so <laughs> we, we are uh we we're in need of teachers actually now <laughs> Oh, don't don't worry if the the political situation in america gets much worse like i'll, I'll be exploring my options <laughs> sounds great C keep it in mind <laughs> we will hook you up <laughs> so yeah this yeah the community decklist is i think is a is a really good model with incentivizing going to patreon and stuff like that and so on the magic side of things um so you you have to do a lot of brewing i've seen because you have like a lot of dealer's choice videos and stuff like that so do you have any small concepts that you use yeah um i am very frequently asked to do ridiculous and unreasonable things in legacy and also make it entertaining <laughs> So this is this is a very difficult challenge because there's this balance between doing what the donor wants you to do, doing something that will be entertaining, and doing something that can actually win some games of magic. <laughs> so a lot of times I have to take the donor's idea and then say, how can I make this Not suck. fit their vision while... Also making sure there's enough legacy power level cards in there to win the game. And with the blue decks, it's easy. You know, you throw in your, your brainstorms, your, your ponders, your preordains, if you're really going heavy into the combo route. And, like, you can, you can pull together those three-card combos and make them work. When you're doing the non-blue stuff, you have to think about playing cards like, say, Endurance that can hate on graveyard combo while also being a huge blocker versus delver to make sure that you can buy your time to get to your janky nick fit finish or whatever it is that you're trying to do in a given week and a lot of times i end up looking at deck lists from other lower level lower power level formats to get ideas like a lot of the things that i played on my channel are importing ideas from from edh or from modern or even from pioneer sometimes and I, I will oftentimes end up like looking at an SCG top eight result from like 2015 <laughs> from the last time one of these cards was played. And it's like, okay, this has some good ideas. What cards were printed in the last 10 years that I can slot into this to make this more viable? Yeah, that, That's basically the same because Daniel and myself, we thought about brewing a, a blue, black, demonic pack displacer kitten maybe it branching into an esper for teferi sometimes like uh, something like that yeah a lot of times when you try to brew a deck list the donor will say like okay here's 12 cards that need to be in the deck you figure out the rest <laughs> <laughs> and um you have to figure out like which powerful thing can i also slot into this deck um, this is something that I used to say a lot. Legacy is a format where you can do whatever you want so long as it's powerful. Like, you cannot just bring anything to the table in Legacy and expect to win. But if you are playing with Legacy power level cards, you can probably have a decent shot at going 3-2 in a league, even if you're doing something that's pretty questionable, right? <laughs> like, even cards that are a little out of Tier 1, like, say, Dark Confidant or something like that, 
Like those cards are still really powerful. They will still take over games if you let them. And even if they're not the best thing you can be doing in Legacy, like if you're doing something degenerate of some kind, like you could probably win some games. <laughs> At least Phil and I are also brewers on our side. So. <laughs> yeah, Daniel is more out of the net deck of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I try to make the... Well, like you said, I like to bring this Bruce, when, when Phil and Peter talk to me about Bruce, to bring them back to the power level of legacy <laughs> side of things a lot of times. <laughs> Basically, what you, your advice is always the same. So uh, splash blue and play Brainstorm Power. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but with basically you said like you you have the two cores of like slotting Ancient Tomb or Urza Saga into a a non-blue deck or the Brainstorm Ponda Priodin or Brainstorm Ponda Force of Will package into a blue deck. Um, so you have to kind of adjust to styles. So how do you do like adjusting to every day a different deck, basically? So um, I'm going to use a fancy magic word here and I'm going to define it first. Um, so for the, for the folks at home, heuristics are these like general play patterns these general rules of thumb that you are used to working with. And a lot of times it'll be something like play your fetch land before you play your brainstorm. So you can shuffle away the cards afterwards and then your brainstorm's better, right? Or it might be something like, oh, if you have your Aether Vial and your Mother of Runes on turn one, you usually play the Aether Vial on turn one so that you can put Mother of Runes in without spending mana next turn. And when you play the same deck day after day, you learn more of these heuristics and you just kind of get a lot of accumulated experience that makes you know what to do in a lot of scenarios and you can rely on these mental internal rules that you have. When you are playing a new deck every day, you don't get to rely on a lot of those heuristics anymore. And so a lot of times you are thinking through everything rather than just like, oh yeah, I know how turns one through three of this matchup go every time. I know my exact sequencing. I know which hate bear I'm supposed to play first. You spend a lot more time actively thinking about your decisions and you have to lean on the information you know about your opponent's deck instead of the information that you know about your own deck a lot of the times. So for example, if I am playing Dinosaur Stompy against Delver, right? Like I might not know what exactly Dinosaur Stompy is going to do, but I know exactly what Blue Red Delver is going to do. So I will try to lean on the information I know about my opponent's play patterns so that I don't embarrass myself with my own actions. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. It should totally use this. <laughs> yeah, it seems, seems like a, a great idea, especially with as much insights as you have in the format in general that you have like a bigger picture to 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 address as the the, the new painting that you got basically <laughs> so yeah seems an interesting concept to play and yeah i think we will go to over to a few community questions before we finish this episode or do you Sounds want to good. say anything in particular no, fire away. Let's do these questions. <laughs> well, I think we, we we have this first question that says, how did Raven you started? But I think we will leave this question now because I think, as you st um, told us before, 
there will be much information about this in the upcoming Humans of Magic episode. Not upcoming when this one releases, but well, upcoming when it we will record. Be live <laughs> when, when the podcast is so people should already have listened to it. So I think the first question is more interesting, but maybe um, Phil, just tell us if you already told us or um, will tell us in the Humans of Magic episode, but listeners wanted to know how the Eternal Glory uh, started. The, the yeah. podcast, especially yeah. with the you podcast, joining yeah. in. As I think you are not the original no, trio, no. if I remember that, correctly. That is, that is correct. We are not. So Bryant Cook is the only one of the original three still around. So I'll, I'll talk about kind of the, the second coming of the podcast. And it, it's actually kind of funny. So Bryant Cook one day like had a bunch of thoughts and he just went to Twitter and he like just tweeted like, man, I'm kind of getting the itch to podcast again. And I responded like, hey, if if you're serious about that, I would be interested in that, too. And so the, the two of us started kind of DMing back and forth and we we decided to revive the podcast. The thing was, we felt like we needed a third person. And so, like, we kind of started hunting around for another person Um Brian was not actually the first person we contacted to do this. Um, and this is this is something I don't know that I've ever talked about in public. Um, we actually originally approached um, Eddie Zamora, mm-hmm. who is like the humans guy. Yeah. Um, just tons of five O's with humans, absolute archetype master. Um, and we were in initial talks with, with, with Eddie to be our third person. And then we realized that like, he he has a lot of life commitments outside of magic and he just physically didn't have the time to do it and so we we went back to the drawing board and bryant and i kind of tangentially knew brian i had reached out to brian previously because uh he did really well i think he won an invitational with modern death and taxes and i was super interested in talking to him about that and so we reached out to Brian, and that's actually how the the second coming of the the podcast <laughs> came about. I was I was a listener for uh, from the Eternal Glory since the f- first episode, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I I don't remember who was the third. It was Anzi uh, and Bob uh, Wang. Am I right? And, uh, and uh, Wilson, Hunter Wilson Hunter was okay, involved yeah. in the podcast as well. Um, Anurag got really caught up in this uh, this streaming gimmick he was doing for for Twitch. He was trying to do this uh, 365 days of of streaming, and I imagine it was really difficult trying to like keep up with a podcast while going and like trying to like do that ridiculous goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know he did his own podcast uh, for a little while. I'm not sure if that is back or or not. Um, I think they had an episode about two months ago yeah. or something like that. Yeah, the the ELO punters stuff is is very good when it happens, uh, but it's it's just been uh, inconsistent. Yeah, and and part of that is due to the podcast hosts, and part of that is just kind of due to like legacy has been through some rough spots. Ah, yeah. that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's that's true. true. And and it's kind of hard to always um, talk about the same things like Blue Red Delver and <laughs> Bennings and ah uh, yeah. <laughs> We don't we don't want to beat the dead horse here. <laughs> so Yep. Yeah. 
about our next question. Are, are you still playing in paper or are you mostly an MTGO grinder or player? Co content creator here, content yeah. Creator. So I recently bought a bunch of paper cards. I bought most of a Zonksha EDH deck. <laughs> so uh, in terms of being a paper player, yes, I am doing a lot of paper webcam magic. Um, but as far as actually going to competitive events, I haven't done that a lot. Um, I am the sort of competitive player where I'm better than most of the people in the room when I have the time to do my homework. Like, the reason I was such a good Death and Taxes player is because I knew every matchup inside and out. I knew exactly my approach. I knew exactly what cards I would sideboard in. I knew exactly what my opponents would have. I knew everything. And that's because, you know, I was playing hundreds of games with Death and Taxes. And now I maybe play Death and Taxes once every other month or something like that. I don't have the reps in that I need to to be as good as I want to be with Death and Taxes, as good as I know I can be. And so accordingly, I don't have a lot of motivation to go to paper events because I know, like, I will certainly be an above average player in the room, but will I be, you know, top 1% in the room expecting to win the tournament walking in with how infrequently I'm playing competitively? Uh, probably not. <laughs> For our next question is, uh, how relevant is the source forum? Is it oh, still? Boy. Uh, I or mean, it's up there, but... Is it still relevant was in specific question? So No, I, I don't think it is. I have I have beloved memories from the source. I like that is where I started my air quotes content creation. Like I did so many posts on the death and taxes uh threads within the the source. But almost all of the MTG discourse these days has moved to places like Discord. And like that has become the place to go for a lot of the like archetype specific thoughts which is good in some ways because you will get much faster response times but is bad in a lot of ways because a lot of good things that are said on discourse just get absolutely buried in new conversation so it's so hard to go back and find something like smart that someone said on discord especially true. when there's so many different channels to search through even if you're in the the right channel it's true i was um, playing dredge last Friday on, on, in RFNM, and I was searching for RM67's general sideboard guide back from oh, 2018, and I simply couldn't find it anymore. It was just, yeah, that this, <laughs> that's really the problem here. It gets buried in, in Discord. It was just a PDF that he had, and was so on point it was so great because he laid out the matchups yeah. um, and he had some general thoughts why you're boarding this card and not uh, not that one and something like that and what what's your goal in this matchup and yeah you simply couldn't find it anymore uh, on discord if 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 there would be something like relevant like the source <laughs> <laughs> then you would easily find it but yeah, yeah. happens so with a really good question we're gonna end this one so what is your level one advice that you give to players this is a good one it's okay to lose so i i think a lot of people when they get started in in magic like they they want to win right like that that's one of their goals that's that's the thing they they came here to do is win games 
but when you start a new format, especially one as difficult and intricate as, say, Legacy or Vintage, you're going to lose a lot, and that's okay. But you should treat every match as a learning experience. That's the thing that I recommend, right? Like, if you want to get better, ask questions. You know, you sign that match slip, and then you go like, hey, what could I have done better? Where did I mess up? Were there any decisions you think I did wrong? Have people watch your games. Like, get on Skype or Discord or Google Meets, Zoom, whatever. Play some Magic Online games with a bunch of people watching you. Talk through your lines. Actively try to get better and improve rather than just play more games. Because, like, mag magic is a, a skill that you can build up. If you're just, like, playing games and that's the only way that you're trying to improve, like, you're going to plateau. It's only by working with people who are better than you, playing against opponents who are better than you, talking with people who view things differently, that you're truly going to grow as a player, right? Like, that sort of advice is, is what I always tell new players, is, like, constantly try to learn surround yourself with people who also want to learn these these sorts of things will bring you up that's what's going to make you improve true in that sense it's better to like play one dedicated league with thoughtful thinking behind the lens as if you would play just 10 leagues brain dead and clicking through all, all the turns basically yeah it's it's the difference between like your legacy play being like four rounds at your local shop versus your legacy play being like you and four friends in a room only two of you are playing the other two are watching you're taking notes you say like no i think i messed up this two turns ago like can we rewind can we go back can we see how this game plays out differently if you know i do this ponder this way instead like you can do a lot of really cool like dedicated play testing And, like, don't forget your post-sideboard games, folks. Like, there's more post-sideboard games than game ones. Like, please, please test those. They're so important. Um, like, getting a good testing team is, is fantastic. And remember, the internet exists. So it, your testing team doesn't need to be, like, your, your best friends, right? Like, your testing team can be archetype specialists. Like, get out there, ask questions, uh, like make connections with people in the community like there are wonderful people uh, like say dugs on twitch who has done so much for maverick there's so many people like him who would be happy to help you learn your deck and give you advice link you to videos give you sideboard guides like get out there and see what's out there get out there and learn yeah i think with this really great advice um we can wrap this episode up so Phil, where can people find you and your content, especially? And maybe also your patron. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm Thraben U, just about everywhere. T-H-R-A-B-E-N-U. You can find me on Twitter and YouTube and Patreon under that name. Yeah, big, big advice. If you're ever going to be a content creator, make your social media stuff all the same everywhere. It makes your life so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we've got the... Uh... Surprise for you. If you like what we are doing, consider following us on Twitter. It's at response underscore legacy. You can also find us on 
Instagram. It's at response underscore legacy. <laughs> <laughs> and also support, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash response underscore legacy. <laughs> See, you guys get it. You figured it out. It's, it's, it's a secret. And by the way, we want to thank our two patrons. <laughs> oh, wow. We, we, we forget that. <laughs> Once in a lifetime, uh, Matt Duncan and Gino Christian Lloyds. <laughs> And where can we find me? Yeah, thank you guys. And where can we find you, Daniel? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It is at Flying Delver. Where can we find you, Philip? You can find me on Twitter. It's at FinnickMTG, P H I N E K M T G. And Peter? You can find me not on Instagram, but on Twitter. It's at Unicorn Lord, but the O, the Lord. This is you. And with that, in response, the end. This was an response, a legacy podcast. If you enjoyed the ride, feel free to support the show by following, leaving a review, or subscribe on patreon.com slash response underscore legacy.